Hey everyone, it's Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment to speak with you all about our show's sponsor, Tall Slim Tees. I cannot speak highly enough of their products. Just the other day, I put on one of my old shirts prior to ever wearing one of these Tall Slim Tees and it just didn't feel right. Now that I've been wearing my Tall Slim Tees for a little while, they are without a doubt the most comfortable shirt I've ever been able to wear as a guy who's a little taller, a little bigger than average, it's so, so nice to have a shirt that truly fits. And if you want to know exactly what all the hype's about, then I encourage you to go to tallslimtees.com where you will find their wide variety of selection with over 20 colors to choose from. And one last incentive, as you get to the checkout, be sure to enter promo code KOREA10. That's the word KOREA and the number 10, and you will save a further 10% on your order so i cannot encourage it enough go to tallslimtees.com right now and be sure to grab yourself a new shirt today and now let's get to the show that was the first time i knew that access wasn't for everyone it was it was okay for these people but it's not okay for the indigenous people of of that particular island Welcome into a special extended edition of Career Competitor with me, Steve Meller, and as a member of the renowned CG Sports Network, we are the show that seeks to light the competitive fire within you in order to succeed within your career. This episode is one that not only brings to light some lessons courtesy of our guests' incredible life and career, but we are also using this episode as an opportunity to educate you, the listener, on some important black history. Since the understandable uproar surrounding George Floyd's death earlier this year and the enormous representation of support for change throughout our communities, I have been wanting to find my own way to show support through this podcast. A few weeks back, we welcomed Rue Mapp to the show who was able to offer some education and awareness within this area through her efforts with Outdoor Afro. And today, I welcome on the founder of Black Girl Surf, Rhonda Harper, to the show who will offer a perspective that continues to push the narrative for change through her work within the surfing community and around the world. I want to keep the spotlight on both Rhonda and our interview, but very quickly, I want to encourage you to head to careercompetitor.com to check out all of our recent episodes and find ways to connect with me through social media there too. If you have any thoughts on this or any other episode, you can also connect with me directly through the website because I encourage feedback and conversation. So hopefully you take me up on that offer and I look forward to hearing from you very soon. Now back to Rhonda Harper and within her role as the founder of Black Girl Surf, she has been building a movement for change within a world that has simply been crying out for it for decades. You will hear about her story of discovering a world-class talent in Haju Samb through a photograph she saw of her expertly taking on a vicious wave and from that one photo she felt compelled to change this girl's life and even brought her to the United States to coach her. In January of 2020, Rhonda headed to Senegal where Haju is from to make the movie Immersion that would highlight Haju's story only to be told due to the global pandemic that she must remain there until the day after we recorded this interview, eight months after she arrived. Because of the situation she had been handed, Rhonda plunged herself into working even harder to promote opportunity within the surfing world 
for black girls and children everywhere, as you will hear in our conversation. She made great use of her time. Just to be clear, not everything Rhonda discusses with me within this interview is easy to hear, as she takes the first 30 minutes of our conversation to provide the backstory of her life in surfing as a black woman, the issues she has faced growing up in areas that resisted her, and the many hurdles she has had to jump to give women like Haju the platform to perform today. But nothing she discusses regarding such matters are her fault, and I am truly honored that she would consider career competitor as a platform to hopefully fuel you to become an advocate and activist for change. So buckle in for this hour-plus extended version of Career Competitor, and please, please stick around at the conclusion of the interview to hear how I both summarize and pay tribute to our discussion with my keys to success. I hope you all enjoy. Okay, well, I am just completely beyond excited to be welcoming on Rhonda Harper to the Career Competitor podcast. First and foremost, Rhonda, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, We are just so incredibly appreciative of your time, uh, and I'm going to let you tell people, firstly, where you are, secondly, what it is you do, and that should emphasize exactly why I'm so appreciative of your time today. So just tell us where you are and what it is you do, Rhonda. I am currently in Hatahaley, in Gore, Dakar, Senegal. And what I do is, is I teach young girls and women um, how to get their bodies in shape and ready to perform for professional surfing. So we've got two firsts. One, we're talking to someone from Senegal, first and foremost. Secondly, we are covering the sport of surfing. And for me personally... I've been living in the U.S. now for the better part of almost two decades now. I'm closing in on two decades. And for me personally, the sport of surfing, even though I have a big background in, in the water, I would go nowhere near a surfboard out of potential to just completely embarrass myself. But in terms of your story and what has gotten you to where you've been now, as you mentioned to me before we came on air, uh, you've been in Senegal all year, all of 2020 for the most part. What was it that, that's taken you out there? What is it that has uh, been motivating you and, and you know really driving you to do what you've done this past year? Okay, so firstly, I'm in Senegal because I came with the WSL to film Haju's, uh, Haju Sam, who is the first female Senegalese surfer, um, to film her film for the WSL's platform tra- on Transformed, their Transform series. And her film, Emerge, is now in, in the film festivals. It actually made it to the film festivals before I made it back to the United States. But like three days before I was getting ready to leave the country, they shut the country down. So I've been here um, trying to the, – the call was indefinitely from the U.S. Embassy. Sure. You're, you're, you're stuck there. So you have to start your life again. And mm-hmm. before I was, before I came here, we were in the process of opening up several current camps um, around the world. So mm-hmm. since I've been in Senegal, well, we, we started out with California and then we added on Jamaica and then um, we started North Carolina has one. Mm-hmm. And then now we have Nigeria Liberia, Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Senegal. With <laughs> I was in an interview the other day, and the newscaster 
asked me if I would come to Cameroon and, and start a black girl surf down there. This never wow. happened before. And I was just like, he's like, we need you. You know, I really, you know, how can we, you know, get you here? And, you know, I, I just told him that you're going to contact me. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I'm more than happy. I'm more than yeah. happy to, to, to oblige them. So on air, he asked me for Cameroon and Gabon. So it's going to, those two are going to be in the near future, but just building, um, on what we had has been incredible. The mm. eight months that I've been stuck here, I've been I've been down so many times, and it's funny that you you said about being embarrassed. Surfing is one of those embarrassing sports. Well, that was my very first run with surfing. So this is this is the I'm going to give you a moral. It's there's a moral to your story in a minute. Absolutely. I ever, I was embarrassed the first time I went surfing on a level that. You probably would give up surfing altogether for the rest of your life. I was mm. tandem. I was 15. I, we got up on the wave. One of us went one way. One of us went the other way. He got up with his trunks on. I got up without my bathing suit top. And I'm a 15-year-old kid. And I said, I'm never going to surf again. I said, I'm never surfing as long as I live. Mm. That's what I said that day. That was it. On wood, that's it. You know, it was embarrassing for me, especially a little 15-year-old kid. You're going through all them little, you know, that's your self-esteem. That's all of that happens right then, right? Mm. And the next day, <laughs> I went to school. <laughs> and, and this guy, was he was selling a surfboard. And I was like, if I wasn't going to surf ever again, I wouldn't even bid on this board. Sure. But I, it, I eventually bid to buy the board. Board's only $50. Back in the day, I mean, I did, this was in 84. So back in the day, $50 for a little kid, that's a lot of money, right? Sure. So I was going, I was going to school on the North Shore of Hawaii. And so there was a guy that was a little less fortunate than me and he would have to pay payments. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, you know, I can always buy a board, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did. And the guy's dad called me that night and he was just like, Rhonda, do you have, you know, you have $25? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, well, I got this beat up board, you know, if you want it. Um, and I, of course I said, yeah, right. You said, I don't care what that thing looks like. I'm going to take it. So see, if I hadn't, if I hadn't got back on that board after being embarrassed and humiliated, because this happened, when it happened, it happened in front of an entire film crew. Wow. For for Magnum PI, so I mean, I, that's the humiliation of a lifetime, right? Yeah. Everybody's looking, especially if you see like a black female in the water in Hawaii, on North Shore in 1984. That's like un, you're like a like a <laughs> mythical character, a unicorn, right? So <laughs> right. everybody was watching. So, <laughs> so you take those humiliations and you take those those all of that in and, and you put that in your self esteem and all of the frustrations that I was having. As a 15-year-old kid, I used that it, to teach myself how to surf. Mm. And so that was the beginning of my career. It was like I went back the next day. My sister would have killed me if she would have found out I was surfing anyway because I was 15, right? And I got sent to go live with her. She's 19. And, and I'm, out in a, you know, I'm out in the ocean. She doesn't even know about it. I lived in right. a resort. I mean, it was right. my backyard. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, you can't do anything else. I'm not going to golf. So <laughs> I, I think I was too young for the golf cir circuit at that point. Right. But, <laughs> so, so I, you know, I would take that, but I took that board home. I remember taking it on the bus, this busted nose. I mean, but it had that nice little 1980s neon spray that you get, mm. you know, that, that one, mm. like that. And so I threw it underneath the villas and the back of the hotel. Um, 
the Hilton Hotel that was there. I threw it underneath the villas that were back there and put some, you know, a little you know, brush on the top of it, trees and whatnot. And uh, every day after school, I would go and pull it out. They already knew that I was like in love with the beach. There was a bench that I used to sit on there for hours and hours. So if I disappear for like six hours, they're like, oh, Rhonda, she's up there on the bench. They didn't even bother me. They didn't even come to look. Nobody even peeked out the window. It's like, <laughs> so, so basically, and it, and it being a resort, two things that I, I, I really did learn that I used later on in my life. There was one thing that I noticed is that nobody else was surfing with me, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I got there around school time, and that's, you know, that's not the season to go to Hawaii. So mm-hmm. I had the whole pretty much ocean to myself because we lived in a resort. But the locals were not allowed to swim and surf on that resort break. Right. So that was the first time I knew that access wasn't for everyone, that there was a it was, it was OK for these people, but it's not OK for the indigenous people of, of that particular island. And I was 15 years old and I recognize that. Yeah. And and so uh, that would go on later on in life. This will come back around again and, and understanding and knowing how access to the beach is is monumental. Um for for people who haven't had that experience with the ocean i had a father who was in a coast guard going to hawaii was like going you know to the next community like we would just go to travis airport base pay five dollars get on a c5 or whatever plane that was going to hawaii you know there'd be a bomb down there you know what i'm saying (laughs) whatever cargo was going we were going they had to take military dudes you were just in there and i remember one time i was actually in the net, you know, in the, in the, in the military net. And I was like, I mean, I'm a little kid. So, I mean, just the, having that particular access, most kids don't have that access, especially sure. kids of color. Hmm. So, and, and, and I recognize even that privilege too, because even when we got over there, we were staying in military housing. It was like 12, you know, $12 a day. So I, I understood where I was in, in all of that. And hmm. um, I came back to, I came back to California and it was the first time I, you know, felt racism because when you're in Hawaii, that especially if you're surfing in, you know, your backyard and it's yeah. nobody there, yeah. right? You don't get, you don't get that. And when I came back to to San Jose, I went to Santa Cruz, and Santa Cruz was um, the very first time I'd ever seen. I'm from Kansas City, so the very first beach I ever laid eyes on was Lighthouse Beach in Santa Cruz. Okay. And I instantly fell in love with that place. It was yeah. just magical, right? Yeah. For a little kid, you'd see it on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I'm watching Beach Blanket Bingo, and I'm like, I want to <laughs> live like that. I want right. to, I want to, I want to be like Deadhead and Annette Funicello. Mostly, <laughs> mostly, I wanted to be like Candy, the dancer that was on there. But right. growing up in the '70s, I grew up, like I said, in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and even though Brown versus the Board of Education was you know, years prior to that, segregation um, was still going on and it's, mm. and integration with the busing. So we were like one of the first ones to get bused, right? right. So um, we didn't really get to see. And then we moved from an all-black neighborhood, right? Because well, both of my parents worked for the government. So we ended up moving, of course, like Georgie Wheezy. We are going to move up and we decided <laughs> we were going to move across the tracks and we did. And it was an all-white neighborhood. And so you get attacked constantly in that environment. So I never really witnessed the good, right? I've only seen the bad. 
until yeah. I saw those movies. And then I was like, man, they ain't so bad, huh? You know, you're a little kid. You just think those movies are the real thing. You think that, that that's yeah. the actual lifestyle. And I just was in love with it. I'm I'm going to wear the, the, the short shorts and the bikini. I'm with all that. Mm. And, and I was a water baby, too. Mm. So, you know, going back to Santa Cruz, uh, after all of this, and this is the most magical place on earth. My mom took me there before she even took me to Disneyland. She took me to the beach because she wanted me to have that experience. Yeah. And my mom didn't even, she didn't even like water in her face. She wouldn't even take a shower. She had to take baths. She right. she, for her to take her kid there to experience that, knowing that her kid was freaking out because she had never seen it. Right. It was, that was amazing. I never, even when I was going as a little kid, I never saw what I saw when I came back from Hawaii. So now mm. I'm older, right? Mm. I'm more mature. I've hung out with all the Hawaiians. All of us are cool. Everybody's just getting along. So we kumbaya and all this. I go to Santa Cruz and I come back up uh, the same hill that if I had to crawl up with my mom, crawl up the same hill. I look across the street. And at that point, I was I was driving a brand new 300 ZX. Wow. And I look across the street, shiny black, beautiful car. Mm. And on the side, written in wax, says, go home, nigger. Wow. Jeez. I didn't even want to drive the car. My, my boyfriend at the time, who was Caucasian, pilot he was just like i'll drive the car i mean imagine and then i would just like put the seat back you know so nobody would see mm-hmm. me in in that car and eventually you know um it, things will get better mm-hmm. as you learn that ignorance is everywhere so i moved to san diego and the same thing happened right and and i said now i'm just going to start surfing ball by myself mm-hmm. so how do we get to where we are now with Black Girl Surf, which is why everybody, that's where our attention comes from. Okay, sure. so I left, I used to be a celebrity designer. My, and my last clients were like Eddie Murphy and those kind of people like that. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where that you've, got, you've gone as far as you can. Now what are you gonna do? With like, all right, you can only put a celebrity shoes on for so many times, you know what I mean? So I wanted to do a clothing line for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like a, funky 70s soul vibe you know the big collars the bell bottom you know that whole little funky scene but only mm-hmm. just for the beach you know beach influence and i started looking because you have to have somebody to wear it right so i started looking for black surfers i'm like hey i'm gonna give them some black surfers i gotta rock this it's gonna be great it's gonna be like the black beach blanket bingo that was my idea right yeah. right with the soul all right so i started looking and i don't see any I mean, at that point, I don't see, like, one. And this is, like, 2002. I don't see any news, uh, um, not a news break, a little story this big, nothing. I don't see anything. And so I said to myself, well, and I think this is with everybody. You, If you don't see it, like, you, my dad always said, if they, he worked at the unemployment office, he always said, if they don't have the job that you want, mm-hmm. create it, mm-hmm. Right. So I, in that research of looking for my target market, I found this beach and I said, I started reading the history on it and then remembering what happened in, in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. I said, why is this like this? Okay. So this beach was called Inkwell beach and that was a derogatory name at the time. It was just, Negroes only in Santa Monica, California. And I said, what the, you know, like, what, what is, why? Like, I never heard of segregated beaches before. That was the very first time I'd heard about it. Sure. Also, they mentioned, in, in this article, they mentioned this guy named Nick Gobbledon, who was a black surfer. And hmm. 
that was, and I was like, oh, well, maybe we have something there. We got one. So I started, <laughs> we got one. So there's one. There's got to be more out there that we just don't know about and nobody's, sure. you know, really wrote it down. Right. And so, and so um, I started doing a history on it. Mm. I started reading about, trying to figure out where he was from. You know, as I went, I was probably one of the first people to get membership with Ancestry.com. If anybody needs to find their people, I could tell you I'm an expert at this point. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I dug so hard that I found out that not only was he African-American, but he was also Latino. His dad was huh. Latino and his, and his mom was African-American. And they came to California in 1918, which is like almost heard of, of having an interracial relationship. Sure. Yeah. But the one thing about Santa Monica at that time, it was a black and Mexican uh, city. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and in, in, in doing that research, I found out that they had started burning down and changing laws so that black people couldn't buy beach property. They like moved them out and did all these weird things for, for them to, you know, they gentrified it yeah. early on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said to myself that it was a, there was like a riot going on at Santa Monica. And I was just like, this is crazy. Like, why are black Mexicans fighting? This is their city. Mm. So I went to Santa Monica City Hall and I said, listen, there's two heroes you guys don't know about. And this is where I, and I'm, I'm being reminded of being in Hawaii where the locals can't go in their own, you know, in their own space. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, access, give them a hero. So I go to the city of Santa Monica and I ask them to put a plaque at Inkwell Beach for Nick Gobbledon and, and the patrons at Inkwell Beach. And that would give the kids at Sam Ojai, blacks and the Mexicans, one hero that yeah. they have in common and try to build that bond and, 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 and work from there. Like you have to work from love always. Sure. And so my career apparently just went astray as far as designer. I had to put that to the side. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still trying to, you know, figure it out. But in getting the plaque, I was asked to, to write for black athletes sport network. Hmm. And they wanted me to cover surfing. And if you send me on an assignment, right. If I go to Huntington beach and I'm going to go, cause that's wonderful. But if I go there and there's no black people, you have no story. Yeah. So I would go, time after time after time and there would i would never have anybody to write on right and then i think 2008 i was in in hawaii again mm -hmm. go go to school again in hawaii and uh i i was covering the triple crown and i saw somebody that looked like she could be you don't mm -hmm. want to offend people you know you just don't <laughs> walk up and go hey are you black <laughs> um say so i mean and we weren't there yet Right. socially yeah, with yeah. Afro Latina. We weren't, we we're in that. So it's better to just leave that alone, sure. let that rest. If not African-American, I'm not going to cover it. Mm -hmm, That's it. Mm -hmm. And so I let that go after like maybe three, four years, I got tired of being behind the laptop and not getting the story that I wanted. Right. So at some point you have to put the laptop down mm -hmm. and you have to get your feet wet and literally and start, developing what you don't see. My dad said, if you don't, if you want a job and they don't have it, then you create it. So mm -hmm. this was created by something that I needed to see, which was more black people in professional surfing. And at that time I didn't care whether it was a girl or a boy. I just happened to land up with the boys for like 10 years, mm -hmm. but I didn't, it wasn't 
it wasn't specific. It wasn't until I started even noticing that my boys weren't going up in levels. And then I said, hold on, let's throw a contest in Sierra Leone, the home, the birthright, the, the landing place where the whole African trade, we landed here and this one went to Jamaica and everybody went their different directions. Let's do a contest there and we'll showcase that Pan-Afro surfers are vi a viable commodity. You can write, it's okay, you can write on them. It's okay, you can take a photo of them. It's okay, like, I don't understand that. It was this, this you know, when I went to Hawaii, when I originally went to Hawaii at 15, I took a, a, a hope chest, right? And it's so funny, it's a hope chest. Because in the hope chest, your parents put, you know, you're supposed to put everything in your parents hope you have going to the future. Mm -hmm. And I had all surfer magazines in there. Mm -hmm. And nobody in any of those magazines looked like me, mm -hmm. ever. So my hope was to eventually have some people that look like me in these right, magazines right. and not have them. Right. Mm -hmm. So you create that. You create you try to create that balance. And so when we did the contest, we, we planned the contest for Sierra Leone. Um, the anniversary of the launch was last week and we in 2013. And we said, you know, this this should bring us all together. If they can't see us at this point, mm -hmm. then we're all lost. It's all lost. Mm -hmm. Everything that we've done up until this point is 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 moot. So um, we had all the boys that we needed. Every single one, every single country could send us a black, a black man, black boy, little black boy. I mean, the whole lineup was filled. We had one girl who was the first and only surfer in Sierra Leone. She had no one to surf against. So we started looking around the diaspora and we could not find anyone within the association. Um, okay, so the, the, our associations. The, our, our associations are linked to the, to the International Olympic Committee. So mm -hmm. the ISA is the International Surfing Association, which is governed by the IOC. Yeah. And in, that, in, in this association body, we didn't have Afro surfers to send, female to send, mm -hmm. to a, even a, one little contest. I mean, if you would have gave me four, we mm -hmm. could at least have a heat. You know what I mean? You yeah, had yeah. first place, second place. You had some. We didn't have any. We only had just her. And the girl that was, the girl that co-produced this with me, um, Imani Wilmot, she was a national champion of Jamaica, but you can't really put the national champion up against somebody who's just now starting off that just sure. this yeah. is, was a fair. So I started looking in the surf camps. And I just said, let's just do West Africa because let's, I mean, we tried the whole diaspora. It might take us months to... <laughs> Again, like it took us months to get this. So let's just see, you know, how this works out. Let's just try West Africa. And I started looking at the surf camps and I found one camp in Senegal and there was a black female mm -hmm. walking around with a surfboard in a photo. And I said, I'm contacting them right now before, we, <laughs> before I forget, before right. I forget. I didn't even remember if I even wrote it down, but I remember emailing them immediately and asking them who the girl in the picture was. Mm -hmm. And they told me it was Haji Song. So I immediately called Haji. I was just like, yes, Lisa got two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I, I contact her and I'm go we're going back and forth. And I'm not, we're, I, the first thing I asked her was, do, do you want to participate in this contest in Sierra Leone? And she was like, yes. Right. Because mm -hmm. her dream 
was to be a pro surfer, but she's in West Africa and she's the first and only in her country. How do you get to that point? And in this country, I can guarantee you, even up to today, for a female even do anything, let alone do something that's out of the cultural norm, it, it, it is, I understand why she jumped on that opportunity, you know, having lived here for eight months. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I don't think, and honestly, I don't think that if I hadn't come, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't made that choice, I don't think Haji would be where she is right now. I don't yeah. I, at all because of the powers that are, that have been controlling this system of, of surf yeah. for so long that they've been keeping girls out that we had to take a girl from your country and send her to California because you guys weren't training her. She was part of your association. She's the only one that's not being trained. So we asked if she could come to California um, to come surf with us. And the reason being is because right before we were going to launch the contest, the contest was in September. We started hearing about Ebola in November mm-hmm. of the year before. So it was like a di- we were having like daily meetings. First, they were like weekly mm-hmm. meetings on counting the number of deaths. This is my second pandemic. Right. We were counting the numbers of deaths. So every week we we sit down. Okay, well, how many is enough? How many is we going to say? Let's not do this. Mm-hmm. And so I think we got to like twelve hundred, and we decided to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And that's when we decided to bring the two girls that we had to California to train. And so now you're going through this epidemic, right? You got this pandemic going on, you got Ebola. So we're trying to fight this thing off. It takes two years for anybody to be able to do anything. And at that point, our elections are going. Now, in that, in that two years, the rumor that the Olympics were coming mm-hmm. was in the air. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying, okay, we're going to do it for this contest, because, you know, in 2016, we all know, that we had a new president. And when that president came in, he literally called all the ambassadors of all the countries and said, you're fired. Like it was a game show or something. And so there were no ambassadors for Sierra Leone. So we couldn't get, we couldn't get KK out. KK was the original, she was the original reason why we were even in Sierra, you know, doing mm-hmm. the contest or finding girls. Sure. And, and we were able to get Haju out. It was a little bit easier because Senegal and United States have a, I don't know what kind of agreement they have, but they're, they're even letting us go back and forth now in and out of the country where everybody else, if you're coming from Europe, you can't even get here. Mm-hmm. So, um, so how'd you came to California? Mm-hmm. But, you know, with that dream of I'm going to be, you know, I'm be Olympic gold, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, the day that she landed, honestly, like the day she landed, I can honestly, the day that she landed, both of our lives changed forever. Like, it, we haven't been the same people. Well, when I showed up at the airport and she got off the plane, mm-hmm. then our lives completely Whatever we knew before, mm-hmm. it was all gone. Mm-hmm. Now it was about this thing because it blew up so fast. I mean, literally, when I called, because I didn't want to go to surf media because surf media, of course, if surf media was covering it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to be here, sure. right? So... I called the mainstream media because I had a connection at ABC mm-hmm. in San Jose. And I said, listen, I have a surfer here that I'm training to go to the Olympics. They were there in 45 minutes. They were not playing around. They were like this. I, I mean, I, I kind of knew, you know, yeah. 
how, yeah. how, how big it was going to be because yeah. you can't do you just don't do that you don't take a girl from west africa bring her to california shores yeah. and say, but if you're going to do that you're going to bring them to california because there's no other place in the world to be seen as a surfer mm-hmm. right than the california beaches especially when you have the isa and the wsl are both located in california so you, you want that exposure if you want to start a revolution in, in surfing, if you really want to put change through, then you bring that surfer to California and you put her in the water. And it's exactly what I did. And out of all the waters in the world, out of all the water in the world, I put her in Santa Cruz because Santa Cruz deserved that one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now yeah. you can tell the story about how racist you were before, but you can also now say, that that was the beginning of somebody else's career that you didn't expect to be where she is. And I trained her every single day in the Santa Cruz waters, whether we were getting harassed or not. I had on, people knew it was black girl, sir. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, she was getting harassed in the water. Good thing she doesn't speak English. You know, it was, it, it was, it was just an amazing dynamic. And so since that day, I can honestly say up until today, right now at this moment, we have been consistently been interviewing and filming and we didn't even realize, I mean, I realized it. I didn't, I, I, you know, you, you know, you kind of have this like, okay, you kind of have an inkling, but mm-hmm. that inkling just turns into something out of control. And you're just like, wait, I didn't think it was gonna. I knew it was going to be big, but I didn't know it was going to suck up three years of my life. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Just, just, my it, it just consumes. So we've been, it's been, and but, I'm not saying that to say it's a bad thing that we've been interviewing. It's the fact that now we have the exposure that we've been needing since the inception of Mm -hmm. professional surfing. Mm -hmm. Right. So the way that I see it now, I don't see it as an intrusion. I see it as another vehicle in another spot. Just like I said, Cameroon, was like, hey, you know, come. So I come here. It's like either English, French, Spanish, right? <laughs> and so you don't really know who who you're gonna who you're gonna be talking to. And it's and it's it's been fascinating, and it's been the most educational experience I think I've ever had, and it's definitely the most humbling because I don't speak the language, I don't have any family here. And I have to survive because there's a deadly pandemic out there somewhere. It's weird because everybody says, Ronnie, you're coming home to like this dystopian lost place, right? Mm. And that used to be my home. And I don't know if you can hear it. I always put headphones on when I'm doing interviews. And I have to sit by this window. Well, my apartment is basically windows. I mean, if you've seen this view, you wouldn't want to leave either. But right. kids are always surfing, like right outside of my window. I was going to say, all I can hear is the happy voices of kids in the background. It's beautiful. It's, it's and they're literally like I live on the water. Yeah. So they're down the downstairs surfing, right. and right. and it's all night. I mean, this is like one of the last African sunsets I'm going to have, and I'm telling you, mm. these little kids are going to be out here until 11 o'clock at night in the dark, and you're still going to hear that same sound, mm. and I've never seen that in my life. And there's the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're talking about coming from a place where you don't see black surfers at all, and there's more now since 
you know, these last eight months, you're sure, getting a sure. little fuller out there. Sure. But uh, <laughs> I'm watching. I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> it's working. It's working. Um, <laughs> uh, but to see to see this every single morning, yeah. these kids are out here on broken boards. You know, like they don't. Some of them don't have fins. Some of them are broken in half. Some of them are surfing on propane or empty propane tanks, but they're in the water and they're enjoying it. And then you go home and they say black people don't surf or black people don't swim. And you go, really? Cause I was just eight months in a place where that's all they did exactly. all day, every day. Exactly. So, and it's weird, you know, trying to like synergize, but I was just talking to Haji today and we we're trying to figure out because we're going to start filming. And I was trying to figure out what it is exactly that I want to say. There's a movie called Endless Summer, everybody's seen, mm. right? That's like the holy grail of surfing. Mm. The first place they came was Dakar, here in, in Gore, where I am right now. And right outside my window on this side is the hotel where they stayed. Wow. And that window that is right there in the back, uh -huh. that's where Haji trains. And, and it's like, I don't know, 600, 700 yards from from here yeah. and that's where they that's where they surf so i'm in a whole new generation to dispel everything that's in the summer was about mm -hmm. right this is this is like i was telling Heidi, i said i think i'm going to name the movie the end because theirs was the endless summer and this is the end because it no longer it was never yours but now it's really not yours because if you see the surfers here these surfers here are not playing around and they should have always had a chance. My, the sponsors that, that I've acquired since, you know, this all started, I was just talking to them today and they're like, Rhonda, thank you because they deserve it. These are the best surfers in the world. That's not even an exaggeration in the least. You'll see them right down there where I'm, where you hear I'm screaming. That's probably like a little bitty baby on a board. And the little another little baby is pushing the baby into like, it. You cannot say that these people these are these are water people. This is a fisherman village. This it has it's like four days from its original state. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you don't want to come here and like overdevelop it or just you just leave these people alone mm -hmm. and you give them some boards and you let them be and you let them excel at something that they are naturally born to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never in my life and I've seen some of the I've seen some of the best service. I've toured with the ASP and did all that for years. I never seen serpents like this in my life. It's a blessing. Like you go home and you, now I'm gonna go to Huntington Beach or whatever I go wherever, Santa Cruz, and I'm gonna be looking at these guys in that water. I'm like, really though? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you think you think you're it, but you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, no idea. And these guys aren't on tour. And, 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 and you don't know the future of the WSL, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I couldn't tell you the future of the WSL. It looks like it, 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 it's in its final days, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like, you know, you want to go ahead and shoot it and put it out to misery. Because they're trying to, you can tell they're just grasping right now. And, and, it's, and it's frustrating to watch, especially if this is something that you love and you've put 17 years behind and you couldn't wait for this moment. And then that horse just dies. Like, it yeah. just dies on you. Mm -hmm. But what I, but I, I, like me, always, you know, you kind of come back out of the ashes, you know, me, it's, <laughs> you know, we had, we started the Africa Surf International 
based on having a, a, a contest series yeah. to showcase African surfers. So my thing is, is to go home and get enough resources to actually put that back into play and then let these, let these kids excel at what they, they do best. Because this right here and this with Africa, we're on African news. We thought we were cool when we were on the American news. And it's much cooler to be on African news. I'm not kidding. Like, you're on the African news and you don't know what they're saying. And all of a sudden, they're, like, somebody just starts speaking English. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. It's just, it's all, honestly, Ron, like, it's all fascinating to me. Because it's like, you've, here we are in this current climate with, here in the U.S., where and and again, I'm I'm originally from the U.K. So for for me, for me, American history and everything that's been in the news these last few months, I've I've just I've from a public standpoint, kept my mouth shut, stayed out of the way. And in terms of just like you know, as you were talking about early, the sad part that there's a lot of ignorance involved when it comes to this stuff. And so for me, I said, listen, if I'm going to talk on this, I'm going to educate myself. So as someone who has two children now that I would consider to be American, I want them as two white children to be in a situation that by the time they are going to school, they are going to be educated in a way that I believe they should be. They're not going to be educated in the way that sadly history has shown that they are going to get educated. They are going to receive some knowledge through me, even though I did not experience it, that enlightens them in a way where they can go to school and hey if there is a version of history being taught well i'm going to cover the rest and some of that and a big part of that is african-american history and understanding that with your story you were so far ahead i mean you were you were 20 years ahead of this stuff and and, and i know and i know you're not the only person that was doing this sort of thing but in terms of from a publicity standpoint from a public standpoint in terms of the narrative, in terms of what was being discussed within the public domain, you're talking about doing things here in the early 2000s that people are now starting to respect, like truly respect. And and, and for, for you to take the time and create these sort of small worlds within the sport of surfing, but that small world represents something that, quite frankly, we all need to be doing as a world, as a globe, as countries, how on earth did you, or were you, sorry, able to anticipate way back then, 20 years ago almost, that this was a movement that not only needed your attention, but it was going to require so much of your action, so much of your action that did you ever anticipate that 20 years on, you would still be taking the sort of action? It sounds like you're taking as much action as ever right now these small steps that you started with seem to be enormous steps that you're taking now like could you possibly have ever anticipated that it was going to turn into this strategically i knew it would come around and it's all about it's all about your timing and 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 knowing your your industry so i'm i'm you know i'm a career student i'm Mm. always learning and researching so one of the things that i did was I subscribed to the trade mags and I, I didn't even, I don't care about surfer and surfing and all those fluff stories in there and whatever. I, I looked at the business side of it and how long it was going to take. And every seven years, there's a trend, right? Hmm. 
I already know what the next trend is. I like I'm already ahead of the game. Like I already, right. I'm. We're already moving on to the next thing. <laughs> I kept saying, everybody's like, "Well, Rhonda, are you? Can't you wait to get home?" And I said, "And see the fruits of your labor." And I said, "What are you talking about? Like when I get home, I'm land on the ground and start working on the next thing exactly. because I already know what it is. And if you don't start now, then you're gonna miss that curve." And I've been watching the trends in action sports since it was called action sports, mm-hmm. right? It was, you know, it was extreme sports, action sports, and it's changed its name. And you have to go with marketing. And also, you have to understand that surfing is about fashion. Mm-hmm. And I was already a fashion designer, so I already knew the fashion trades. And so you watch how the fashions are. You watch which companies are suffering. You watch, you know, Billabong just totally tanked out to the point where at one point during, uh, like, 2017, 2018, they were down to, like, 26 since a share, I mean, they had to sell everything off and then they ended up selling it off. You have to know these type of things and they don't expect people of color to be paying attention. Yeah, this, I, I knew you were going there with this. Like, and, that, and that's the part that just like, oh my goodness, it just. Yeah. Right, so okay. I knew that in order to sell a shirt to a customer, you can only sell Tim this particular shirt so many times. Tim still got a Billabong shirt from 10 from 10 years ago that he wears when he goes out with his buddies he's done he's not going to buy anything else right so unless you diversify you're not going to be able to make it work it's just not going to happen that's just the market doesn't allow for the same repetitive thing and especially when you know that the companies are being all of their products are being made in the same factory with different labels on them basically the same they're all on the same production line they just slap some little you know whatever Make yourself whatever you are, okay. So you have to know that too, right? And then you and then you figure out a way that you can put yourself. Right? I knew ten years, like two thousand and ten. I was accidentally sent a letter from the ASP for sponsorship. I guess they thought I was a white man. Sent me a letter and said that they were going to take over Africa. This is in two thousand and ten. So we started the contest series. Because we knew that a Utah black person, they're going to take over and then there's some problems, right? And I'm African-American and I'd already seen what they do with products. They'll take, you know, go into a village, a whole bunch of African kids, put some wax in their hand, right? Take that picture, put it on their website. They've made $2 million off that product and that kid is still in the village, right? That's not what we wanted to do with African Surf International. We wanted to come in and we wanted to give sustainable housing and build up and show them that this is how you sustain your community. We didn't come to just to have a contest and just bounce out. We want you to be able to sustain yourself so that you don't have Europeans coming in and making money and you're paying taxes on you. And the worst part about it is they were having contests and they still do have contests in Africa and only maybe one indigenous African is in that particular contest out of a hundred people. You have one indigenous African that's participating and he's going to probably get a, a participation ribbon or, you know, honorable mention or, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the idea is to promote this image of sur- surfing and leave this image out. But when they said they're coming to Africa and I already knew, plus I have a civil rights background, I was like, let me insert myself into this picture. And that's where Africa Surf International came from, because we knew that we could branch out and do all those things. So I called all the people that I had interviewed who were 
at an international surfing association contest in Huntington Beach, I call each one of them so that when they say they're taking over Africa, they already know that we're here. They've taken over nothing that we're already here. Everybody across the board was on board. They were like, we're going to do it. And then Ebola. But we all stay together. This is, this was my motto is I said, let's stay together. Stay together. You guys do your little individual things. And when I'm done, cause everybody knows how I am, you know, <laughs> they knew, they knew that I was eventually, I said, it, it might not be tomorrow, but it will be eventually. Mm-hmm. And we'll get there. I said, this is one of those things you have to do it step by step and you have to do it methodically. Otherwise, if you put on a contest, this is, this is what was all my, even sponsorship down to sponsorship. If a black person gets sponsored by, let's say, Billabong, mm-hmm. and that black person doesn't do well, and those clothes don't sell well, he loses his sponsorship. The next sponsor is not going to touch him because he knows that that person can't make sales. Right. So now you've got an athlete sitting at home based on his looks instead of his actual performance in the water, right? right. And, the, and the sales. So you have to fix that. You, right. have, you, have to, you have to switch that up a little bit. And so that's why when you introduce um, African surfers, you don't get the ones that look like mainstream media. Mm-hmm. You get the best of the best, right? right? And they are in an indigenous form and nobody can say anything about them because this, you, you've seen it. You see, did you see that? Did you see the picture? I keep saying, did you see the picture? Because it was just one picture that got Haju to California. One yeah. photo. And me knowing the fact that she can handle herself in a contest, anybody that could take that wave in Angora. Now I'm in Angora now, mm-hmm. so I know that what I saw was the actual truth. Yeah. Right. So I wasn't imagining. I knew this was a gift. Right. So you go on that instinct. There are so many things that went into this. I mean, there was like every night you think of nigga. Okay, you got the ration. 2014. I can tell you when we were getting ready to launch, it was we knew we were going to start losing sponsorships because that was right when Trayvon Martin was killed, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, the surf industry is mostly Republican, right? And so they start talking, oh, you know, this and that, and you hear that buzz. You can't go to Huntington Beach because somebody's going to call you some kind of name or something. So you know the industry, that's not the right time. Don't introduce it right But by 2016, it, now you have a viable product that people are going to want to talk about. And that's exactly what happened to us. 2016, everybody started going, oh, Africa Surf International. Okay, what are you guys going to do? We get it, and we're going to do it. And then the president came in. And so we, it's not, it wasn't that we couldn't do it. It was like we were taking the, the right steps and making sure it's the right time. And the one thing that I always say, you have to look at the social, political environment in any country that you go into, right? We can't come to Sierra Leone with our Western ways and think we're going to take over waves or we're going to hold a contest. I remember calling the Ministry of Tourism over there and talking to the woman. And the woman was like, I was like, okay, can I get the information? Cause I'm trying to hold a surf contest in Bua. Right. And she said, I'm sorry, where are you calling from? Cause she can hear the static. And I said, I'm calling from California, you know, United States, California. And she said, California. She said, you know, Bua. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so helpful, but they had no concept of surfing. And yeah. so you had to explain it to them. And not only do you have to explain it to them, you have to explain it to them in a way that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. If surfing is, if action sports is a $40 billion a year, then you tell them that a sketch of that is yours. Like nobody tells, 
They don't come from Europe and tell them when they come in and land on plant, they come down and do their thing. They don't tell them that it's a viable business that they're investing in. They don't let the, the, the locals know. They come, mm-hmm. set foot, and then they build all around there. And then the, mm-hmm. you may not even get a worker that looks right. like somebody indigenous. So right. because they want to make it mm-hmm. universal when the people come, you know, so you talk to yeah. them. And so you have to start teaching if you don't teach people. This is my dad again with this. You know, I have great parents. I, I had the best parents in the world. Um, mm-hmm. My dad said, if you have a skill, you go back into your community and you teach them mm-hmm. that skill so that they can get in the position that you're in. And that's what that's all we did with Africa Surf International. And so that was the only intent was to just give them the skills that I already had. And that's what I continue to do to this day. Yeah, it's, it, it all is just, I, I mean, I'm in awe. I was in awe of your story before we got on the phone here. And, um, and Rhonda, I mean, I, I consider myself just incredibly fortunate to, to be able to have an hour of your time and, and hear about all of this. And, you know, with with that in mind, the fact that we've already been speaking for close to an hour, which is crazy, that just shows how, how completely uh, enthralled I've been with, with everything you're discussing from a from a future standpoint you know there you are talking about the next seven years finding that next trend incorporating the work that you're doing into a trend that we haven't even seen yet what for you now because we as a we as a podcast are all about being competitive like be, finding ways to be competitive and that passion for what you have that relentless mission that you are quite clearly on in terms of being competitive on behalf of quite frankly, a, a generation at this point, uh, you know, on behalf of a generation, what is a, what's going to be a success for you? Or is that something that you feel like because of your standards and because of who you are by the sounds of it, will, will, will there be a version of this that will be good enough for Rhonda? Will Rhonda always be aspiring to somehow make it more inclusive and make it more available? You know, what, what does the end result look like for you? I, you know, it's funny because I get asked that a lot and I don't see an end result because I'm always trying to find that next thing because there's, there's so much that's been untapped and there's so much potential out there. Um, there's so many, I mean, there's, the sky is limitless, right? And so I'm, yeah. I'm one of those people that can't go to sleep without writing down like everything, you know, you know <laughs> right. what I'm saying? Like everything you yeah. think. We, and we so, share that, we share that same trait. <laughs> right. And so in, in the, in the seven year plan, first I want to, because I haven't had a, literally, I have not. This is not a vacation. I work the entire oh, time. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. It's 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 paradise. Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like I said, next time I come back, I'm, I'm y'all y'all got it now. I, I taught y'all everything. I'm gonna have vacation here now. I'm gonna put my um, feet up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm going home really quick to get their boards and come back, and I'm gonna rest for like about three months, and then we're on to the next phase because the next seven years are very critical. Um, in the surf world, right? So mm-hmm. not only are we preparing, our kids now are going into, well, we originally had our youth going into the youth games that were supposed to be here in Dakar in 2022, but they postponed it to 2026. So our kids now, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Our kids now that we've been trained day in and day out, they're ready for the Olympics Olympics. They're, by the time they do it again, by the time the Olympics come around again, they'll be going into the main Olympics. So now you, when you had one, you're going to have like 10 because we got, we got upwards of 40 
50 girls in our, just in this one. And I have two, I have black girl surf and I have inkwell. So (laughs) it's, it's on past that you have Paris 24. That's the next Olympic round. And then the youth games, which are our nappy roots kids that are just now starting out the little kikis, the same five year olds (laughs) that I was talking about, they'll be ready for the youth games. So you have, now you have two substantial monumental teams competing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the first time this has happened in, in in Senegal at all. And I don't even know if it's even happening anywhere else in, in Africa. We're going to, it remains to be seen. I, if I if I see one, I'll, I'll let you know. But <laughs> the the idea was to have this be the template for the future, all future camps. So I'm I'm more excited about getting Ghana up now. You know, like that was the next mm-hmm. day. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. "Where are you coming when you come back?" I said, "No, when I come back, I got to go to Sierra Leone because that place needs a roof. I have to go to Nigeria because they don't have. You know, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. this is." It's not Senegal this time. It's 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 a worldwide thing. So I don't see me stopping anytime soon. But I do need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. I'm tired listening to. Like I just I get tired from listening to this. Like the, the amount of work that you're doing is, you know, I always think of myself as an active guy. And then you describe the last eight months, and I think, man, I've been taking it easy in comparison to Rhonda. <laughs> nah, and I didn't. I mean, I didn't even mention the paddle outs. That was done right here, standing in this window right here, standing in this right. window. I was like. All right, we need to. I'm not home. If I was home, mm-hmm. I would be marching because that's the type of chick I of am. Yeah. And I'm not there. So, what can I do? Okay. The mm-hmm. best thing I could think of is somebody had called and they were like, Rhonda, you want to do this paddle out in Santa Monica? I said, Well, I'm not here, but I'll send my girls and let's, let's, let's see how that, you know, how that works out. And, and George Floyd. And I was like, No, no, no. We could do this bigger and we could do this better. And the message can be sent around the world. Okay. Let's do. Imad Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Andrew Washington. Let's do a worldwide paddle out. And my idea worldwide was my five people that I was close to. Wahini Project, Miwata, Surf City. These are three of them are, are in California. And then I had yeah. Jessie uh, from the WSL. She was stuck with COVID over in Bondi in uh, Australia. And then I was in Senegal. That's worldwide. Mm. Right? So I put the flyer up by my site. That's it. Worldwide. That's a worldwide paddle out. We're going to do it on the 5th. I woke up the next morning and I had 200 emails wow. from people all over. There's countries, I, I mean, places I never heard of. I, I didn't even know. Like I say this all the time. This is the most shocking thing that happened out of the worldwide paddle out. I didn't know that um, New Zealand had three different time zones. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty, it's a pretty big place, yeah. I was <laughs> like, big place. I was like Gibson Land. Where is that? I don't know. What I-, <laughs> <laughs> I woke up the the very, you know, the morning, the morning of, and you forget that you're so far. People are far ahead of you. So I woke oh, up yeah, that yeah. morning that we were going to have the paddle out here in Senegal, and Indonesia had had a paddle out, and they had already wow. sent me the pictures. So wow. I'm drinking my coffee. The first thing in the morning, like, it's really <laughs> they care about us you know it's just yeah. it, it's the, and i said this is just one of those things that you do for the world because they need it needs to be done you don't do it because um for the attention you don't do it for uh, clout or whatever however you want to say it you do it because this message needed to be sent a long time ago right and it needed to be sent worldwide it didn't need to just stay in one spot it needed to spread and so 
I'm glad I was able to do it. There's another paddle out coming on up on the on the 17th of October because they want to change the name of Inkwell. There's a politician who wants to change the name of Inkwell to Nick Gobbledon Beach because she she didn't feel comfortable sitting in a place that celebrated pain. Right? So now I have to throw a whole paddle out and protest of this. And we shouldn't have to have our history erased by somebody because they feel some type of way. But when you're in that position of privilege and entitlement, you just feel like you can go in and just start rewriting history and all kinds of things, you know, and it's just, it's not fair for the people of color and it's not fair for our history. And I shouldn't have to come home, get straight out of quarantine and go protest because that's exactly what happens. I get out of pro. I think I'm, I'm out of quarantine on the 14th, on the 17th, we're protesting. I mean, it's just sure. crazy. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's a representation that, sadly, it's a representation that th- there's a long way to go. You know, there's a, long, there's, there's a really long way to go. And I, you know, looking at, looking at history, looking at the, 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 the way things are happening right now in, in, within the United States and the response around the world to what has happened around the United States, it's been a positive reaction in the sense of people are noticing, people are respecting that there is a, an enormous issue that needs to be given the attention and the respect it needs. But the most impressive thing about you, Rhonda, is that you know, you've been a part of a movement in Black Girl Surf and all of your other work for a long, long time before this became a global mission. And because of all that incredible work you've done, the foundation now for what you have to go on and achieve in the next six or seven years, as you attested to with just what you're doing within the surf community and all these different competitions, including Olympic Games, is, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm, I can't wait to see the results. I, I, I can't wait to, to be able to see things four years, six years from now and be able to look back on this conversation and say, all everything that's happened here is has come from the work of of you thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute privilege to to be able to speak to you and, and learn from you and and that's what it's been it's been a lesson it's been one hour lesson of of just so many wonderful influential uh, points that you've made here and uh, i'm just excited to try and somehow summarize it all for our listeners and and, and make some make some really apl- applicable messages because i think there's so many applicable messages in terms of your work that can be taken into any component of anybody's life um if if you're and above anything i love what you say there about try to work from love always um because um that's that's speaking the sort of lifestyle that i'm trying to work towards and you know i I just appreciate that sentiment above everything else but like i said Rhonda, you know i can't thank you enough i can't speak highly of you enough and, and thank you so much for your time today thank you so much for having me this has been one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. That's the best one yet. Awesome. <laughs> Such a privilege and honor to have that opportunity to speak with Rhonda Harper on this episode. And as always, I'm going to summarize our conversation with my three keys to success, starting with my competitive call. And for this episode, it is that of initiative. Look at the work Rhonda has done in her life over the past two decades, every single step she has taken has been initiated by her. 
The awareness that action was required, having experienced and witnessed the wrongdoings towards black people within her communities. The ability to create roles and responsibilities for herself so she could be the cause of change and provide a more inclusive environment for others. Even most recently, with her paddle-outs to bring awareness to racial injustices around the world. This is a woman who has never waited to be told what her next step is. She has perfected her initiative to know when and how she can be the spark for change before anyone else even realizes there is action to take. We can all learn a lot from her examples of initiative. Next is my teachable takeaway. Are you promoting access within your world? We all have a choice when it comes to how accessible we are to others. But I am talking more about how much we are willing to open doors for people within our worlds to have opportunities they may otherwise not have had if it wasn't for our willingness to promote access. This episode is enriched with the actions of one individual wanting to provide opportunities to literally thousands upon millions the world over. But when you look at your life and the smaller version of the world that you exist within, start to ask yourself if there are ways you can be a force for more access for others. Whatever the environment and whatever it is you are making more available to others, just know that we can all be a catalyst for change by promoting access for others. So have a think about where you can do this within your life today. Finally, my motivational move, work from love. If you are still listening at this point, I firstly appreciate it. But secondly, I just want to encourage you to work from a place of love. The way in which you love the work you do, the way in which you want to have an impact on those around you, and the way you want to leave a legacy for others to follow suit. Rhonda has already played an integral role in the history of surfing, but also in the development for opportunity for black children and people everywhere. She understands what her work represents. She loves the fact she is helping her people both now and for generations to come. But above all, she wants to promote love. A love for surfing, a love for each other, no matter the color of your skin. It all stems from love when it comes to the work she is doing. And I am motivating you at this very late stage of this episode to always work from love in your career, your relationships, simply across your life. And I promise that if we can do that, then we will all be giving Rhonda a helping hand in creating a better world for everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It means the world to me that you would listen and it was also an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with someone I believe years and years from now will be considered one of the great figures in black history to have sparked change for the greater good. All the best to you with everything you have going on within your world. And I look forward to speaking with you all again very soon. Bye for now.